is animal rights in Judaism. So for much of history, animals were treated as property. Animals had no special rights. There were no limits in most societies for what we were able to do with animals. There were many that believed that animals did not feel pain, um, although it may be visible in some animals when they're feeling pain. Um, even if they did believe that animals felt pain, they believed that there was no moral reason not to harm animals. In the 20th century, um, about 100 years ago, a movement grew. It had been very small in the 19th century, but it really grew in the 20th century, encouraging better treatment of animals, including not causing them pain. Today, there are many well-known animal rights organizations or animal welfare organizations whose goal is to advocate for animal care, that animals should be better cared for. Many of these organizations um, are pushing for an end to animal, not only to general treatment of animals, but also an end to animal experiments um, that we use. Um, many of them are um, pushing for either better treatment in animal, of animals and animal farming, which is the commercial um, use of animals. Um, we have always used animals commercially throughout history. Um, and treated them sometimes better, sometimes worse. Um, it is possible, at least in some, not possible, it's probable that in some ways um, animal farming as it's become, the, as it's become more and more industrialized um, has given worse and worse treatment to animals. Uh, but so today, and there are organizations that would like to get rid of human consumption or human use of animals altogether. But today, just about every country has laws banning certain practices that are considered cruel as part of animal welfare or animal rights. To the best of my knowledge, there is no country that ba bans animal consumption, um, though many do have regulation as to how to treat animals. So our question is, what is our Jewish perspective? Do animals have any rights in Judaism? So before we get to whether animals have rights, we should just talk about the very concept of rights. Nowhere in Jewish sources do we have a concept of rights for humans or for animals. And perhaps one day we could do a class on human rights. Uh, but just to touch on that very briefly, the concept of human rights today is a, considered an international norm. There are human rights organizations. The United Nations has a human rights um, body that is dedicated to human rights, every nation and every culture, at least even if they don't in reality respect human rights, at least pays lip service to the concept of human rights. The, however, the concept, the very wording human rights, really originated in England. It originated from the 1200s with the Magna Carta, and then later in the 1600s with the Bill of Rights. Now, the Magna Carta and its later successor, the Bill of Rights, was really an agreement between the king and the nobles as to each group's power. So there has always been in every society a division of power between the king or the supreme leader of the country and the um, nobles or lower level leadership, people that are interested in lower level power, and how you balance the power between the two. We have similar power battles between 
the federal government and the states, between the president and Congress, between today. But it's been, every society has had these kind of power battles. And so the Magna Carta and the Bill of Rights was essentially a battle between elites, between the king and the nobles. And so it was really, what they meant by rights was to create a fairer balance of power, to give the landed class greater power where the king could not do certain things, they had their own rights. Over time, we've moved away from aristocracy, we've moved away from elitism. Um, today, um, starting in the 18th century, we've begun to believe that all people are endowed by rights. In other words, every person has their own personal power that was originally bestowed to kings and nobles, and then landed class is now bestowed to all people have this natural, essentially, power. So we have equal rights, essentially means sharing power or power equality. So that's where our concept of, <coughs> excuse me today, human rights, every human being essentially has their own power, and that power needs to be respected by others. Judaism never had this concept of rights at all. Nobody ever had a natural right or a natural power. We are not created from a Jewish perspective with rights at all. Rather, God, our creator, gives people commandments or responsibilities. So we don't have any power. We rather have responsibilities. And so it is not the right of a victim not to be hurt or not to be harmed in some way or another, but responsibility of people not to cause harm to others, not to harm others in different ways. So in the same way, just as humans don't have rights in Judaism, rather people have responsibilities, in the same way animals too have no rights in Judaism, rather um, people have responsibilities in the way they treat animals. So what are those responsibilities? So the Torah tells us, if someone sees their enemy's donkey falling under a load, you must stop to help them. You cannot ignore it. You must stop and help the animal up. You must help by lightening its load, helping it get up. In the Talmud, there's a debate if the, what, about the reason for this mitzvah. Is the reason for this mitzvah because the Torah requires you to help your enemy? Even if you dislike someone, you must help the person in trouble. Definitely you must help a stranger or a friend. Um, in other words, it's about helping a person in trouble. Or is the reason for the commandment to help an animal that is in pain? So if indeed the reason is the second view that the, it's a mitzvah to help an animal in pain, then this would be a biblical rule that we would need to let, whenever you see an animal in pain, you cannot ignore it. You must step in and do what you can to help it. Which reason is the correct reason which, which the halacha would follow is debated by later scholars, by, um, by Rishonim, medieval scholars. Um, however, the consensus generally is that the reason for this rule is to help the animal. In other words, you're not allowed to leave animals in pain. 
even if that is not the reason for the rule, all agree that there would definitely be what we call a rabbinic injunction. In other words, the Sanhedrin, um, the Supreme Council of Judaism, definitely created a rule, whether it was original biblical rule or not, um, requiring us to help animals in pain. So whether it is a biblical rule or a um, rabbinic injunction created by the Sanhedrin Supreme Council of Judaism in Judaism's early days um, is debated, but is definitely a requirement when a person sees an animal in pain, one is required to help it. Furthermore, it is forbidden in Jewish law to take, definitely forbidden, to take any actions to harm an animal. Even if you did not do cause the animal pain, you must step in to help it. Definitely, you cannot take any actions to cause an animal harm. That is seen, Maimonides says. We see that from the story of Bilam in the Torah. Bilam was riding a donkey. The donkey began to talk back to Bilam. And the donkey asks Bilam, why did you hit me three times? And so Maimonides says from the fact that the donkey challenged Bilam, why did you hit me, is evidence that hitting your animal is unethical and the wrong thing to do. And so therefore it would be forbidden to hit an animal or to court in a way that would cause it pain or to cause an animal pain in any way. Our sages further tell us that we are told to treat animals well. We have to, we are told that we must always feed an animal before feeding ourselves. We should feed an animal before, get, take care of the animal before taking care of ourselves. It should, we should point out, we will get more in detail to it. That doesn't mean that if you only have one flask of water or one bit of food and it's either you or your animal to give the animal, human life comes first. I'll soon explain why. But when you do have food for both, you must first feed the animal and then feed yourself. In fact, this rule of not harming animals is also found in another one of our 613 prohibitions. One of our kosher laws is it is forbidden to eat a limb taken from a living animal. So any limb, and that's anything that is taken from a living animal, is forbidden to eat. Now that sounds very strange, but um, there are many societies that did eat limbs of living animals. There are still cultures that cook animals alive. Um, well, lobsters and the like that cook animals alive, and that would be all part of this prohibition. Um, the, now, the, our oral tradition tells us that in addition to the 613 commandments that were given by God to Israel, to the Jewish people, as part of our covenant with God, there are also seven universal commandments. We once did a class on the seven universal commandments that we call the seven Noahide laws. These are seven rules that were originally given to Adam and then later given to um, Noah and all alluded to in the Torah. Among those laws, we are told, among those rules, is the prohibition of eating a limb from a, a, from a living, that's taken from a living animal. That's one of the seven Noahide rules, along with the prohibition of idol worship, adultery, and, um, 
and murder, stealing, um, you, we also have the prohibition of eating a limb of a living animal. Commentaries explain, um, some commentaries explain, that this is not just a very, it sounds like a very specific prohibition. We have many, many different kosher laws in Torah. And um, so why does the Torah choose this? Or why did God choose this particular prohibition of all different kosher laws that we have to prohibit non-Jews from doing? And so commentaries explain that this is not just a general uh, this is not just the specific law, but it is a prohibition, a ge more general prohibition against all animal cruelty. So, um, so in other words, these seven Noahide laws are not just Noahide law, are not just rules, but they're values, seven universal values that Judaism, while we don't proselytize and we don't try to encourage other people to join our covenant or or, be, or fulfill the 613 commandments, we are commanded to spread Jewish values. And we have seven universal values that all people are supposed to follow. Um, one of those including the value of human life, not to murder, the value of personal property, not to steal. Um, and in the same way, the prohibition of not... Um, Eating a limb of, an, of a living animal is really a more general value, a prohibition against animal cruelty. So that would firstly prohibit all forms of animal cruelty, and it would prohibit it not only for Jews, but for non-Jews as well, as a one of the seven fundamental universal values that Judaism believes in is not being cruel to animals. Annette, you had a question? No. Okay. Susan? It's a good question. It's not necessarily a limb. Necessarily a limb. It's any part of an animal while alive. Um, that is the term that the Talmud uses. Um, there are certain byproducts of animals that we are allowed to eat of live animals, notably eggs and milk that we do eat. Um, but those are byproducts rather than part of the animal themselves. Um, but that's the term that Talmud uses. Eggs. Eggs and milk. Eggs, they're byproducts of living animals. Yes? I'm sure you're going to discuss kosher and cooking milk and meat together. Is that part of this? Not necessarily. We actually don't know the reason for the prohibition of not eating milk and meat, mixing milk and meat. Um, Rav Cook um, goes into great detail explaining why, how many of the kosher laws are related to animal cruelty. Um, but that's, I mean, that's, it's an interesting explanation, but not the main reason for our kosher rules. We generally believe our kosher rules are, are um, don't have a logical explanation. Yes, Carol. So when my pets have passed away, I've been faced with the option of cremation or burial, and I chose burial, but I don't know if... <laughs> good question. Good question. Well, that, that's a very good question. Yes. Okay. So Maimonides explains that while God takes individual interest in every single person, we believe further that every person has a mission and role on earth. Everything that happens to a person is um, things that happen to us, not things we do. 
um, is planned by God, and God has planned for each and every one of us, that is only for people. There is no individuality for animals. And therefore, he points out, killing a person is wrong because morally wrong. It is one of the worst, if not the worst, um, moral wrong a person could do because you have ended the life of an individual. The Talmud tells us that an individual is an entire world. Every person is an entire universe. Killing one person is destroying an entire world. That person's experience, that person has their own conscience, their own consciousness, their own experience, their own life, um, their own mission, their own purpose. And so therefore, ending any individual's life is ending an entire world. Yet Moses kills two Egyptians and God oversees that or just ignores it? Is it ever right to kill? That is a very good question. Yes, it is right to kill sometimes. We did a class some time ago about capital punishment. Um, Killing in self-defense is also a subject of its own that needs a class of its own. Um, Is there a right to kill? Definitely at certain times. Yet, we have to note that generally killing is wrong, and it is the worst moral offense that a person can do. Um, And so, and that is because every person has individuality. Every person is an entire world. Animals, though, are different. Animals have no individualism. Animals don't have a life, so to speak, in the same way humans do. They don't have their own sense of whom they are. They don't have their own purpose and mission given to them by God. And while we are forbidden, as we said, from causing, from, while we may be forbidden from causing animals pain or killing animals for no reason, it is not wrong to kill an animal in the same way it is wrong to kill a person. People have individuality. Animals do not have individuality. Why then would it be wrong if animals do not have individuality? Who then cares how the animals feel? Um, If they feel pain or not, does it matter? They're not individuals. They don't understand. They don't have any individuality. Does it matter if we cause animals pain? So Maimonides says that really the prohibition of killing an animal is, or sorry, causing an animal pain is not for the animal's sake. It is for the person's sake. Cruelty is a bad character trait. Acting in a cruel way would be um, acting in a way that is bad character. And so therefore the problem with causing animals cruelty is not is uh, animals pain is not the pain that the animal is feeling but the human that's doing the pain causing the pain or who's watching an animal in pain and ignoring it in other words because we need to have compassion as part of our character it's an important part of our own char- human character therefore uh, therefore we have to help animals not for the animal's sake but for our own sake Others suggest that there is concern also about causing animals pain, 
because they are still God's creation and they do feel pain and we should be concerned because nothing should ever be in pain. And so it's not only for the human's sake, but it's also for the animal's sake. So therefore we should go to great extent to ensure animals are not in pain, to relieve animals' pain whenever possible. However, that is not because it is important to, dis- to differentiate between humans who are their own individual and every person has individuality and therefore every person is an entire life and an entire experience. We are not concerned about the animal's life and experience in the same way. An animal is not an individual. An animal does not have an experience in the same way. And an animal does not have a um, godly purpose and mission in the same way. For that reason, because of this important difference between humans and animals, we are therefore allowed to kill animals for human consumption. (coughs) The Talmud offers two opinions as to whether Adam originally was forbidden from eating animals. There is one opinion that Adam was forbidden from eating animals. Later, however, Noah was explicitly, the Torah, God tells Noah he is allowed to eat animals. Um, Why Adam was forbidden is debated, whether he was not some, like the Ari explained, that he was not sufficiently spiritually elevated to be able to eat an animal. Um, Others, Rav Cook explains that not eating animals is the human ideal, um, but then after the flood, humans were on a lower level, and therefore God, um, as a concession, allowed them to eat animals. The Arias explains the contrary. After the flood, humans were on a higher level, and therefore were able to consume and elevate animals. Um, Regardless, Since Noah, there's no question that humans have been allowed to eat animals. Not only are humans allowed to eat animals, we have special laws regarding eating animals. And we had animal consumption in the temple as part of our sacrifices. And it was a mitzvah to um, sacrifice animals while our temple stood. So um, Judaism definitely allows for killing animals for human consumption. So... Um, we are not only allowed to eat animals for human consumption, we're allowed to use them for not only to eat, but for any human benefit, we are allowed to kill animals um, for any human benefit, including for their hide or for other things we want of value that we want to take from the animal. We are allowed to kill animals for human benefit. The only reason not to kill animals is not because of not causing them pain, um, unless the form of death will cause them pain. But the reason we cannot kill animals is because of another prohibition of is not to waste. It is forbidden to waste anything belonging to God. We're not allowed to cut down a tree in waste. In the same way, we cannot kill an animal in waste as well. We must also, though, be careful when doing so not to cause it pain. Um, But we are allowed to kill animals. They do not have the same individuality that humans have. Often people ask me, do animals have souls? And uh, do animals have souls? And the answer is, they do not have human souls. We believe that Ari explains that every item on earth, everything God created has a soul in a sense, um, that 
makes it exist or that gives it a mission and purpose. But they do not have human souls because they do not have individualism the same way humans have as well. What do you mean by individualism? Sorry? What exactly do you mean by individualism? A sense of existence, a sense of self, and from a spiritual perspective, a mission and purpose. A unique mission and purpose that God sent them. How would any of us know that? We were told so. Uh, well, uh, let me take. There's been a couple questions. Um, let me take a few questions. Um, Gordy. is the Jewish okay? Let's say you is a Jew allowed to have a pig farm if he's going to sell the pigs to non-Jews, right? So can he can he have? You're a asking about the question of kosher. Are you allowed no, to raise that, non-kosher? Well, that, but like, why don't rabbis have dogs in their house? You know, because it's not kosher, but they're not going to eat the dog. So what I'm saying is, can you work with them, or can you be around them if you're not going to eat them? Are you allowed to raise non-kosher animals? It's a very good question. It's beyond the scope of this class. Let's talk about it later. (laughs) Yes. The Kaparis? Before before Yom Kippur? Right, and uh, it was um, um, lots of protests because of uh, animal cruelty, you know, animal activists would come. I don't know if it's still going on. I know just like five, six years ago it was still going on, you know. So without getting into the details of the specific, um, there's a Jewish um, service called Kaparot that you're referring to that we do before Yom Kippur um, with, with chickens. Um, without getting into the details of the service and why we do it, in general, um, while we don't cause pain to animals, animals are allowed to be used, as we just said, for human consumption. And they're allowed to be used for a human purpose. We use them in the temple for sacrifices. Um, We're allowed to use them for their hides. We're allowed to use them as farming animals. We have horses to ride on. Um, We are allowed to, there's no question, we are allowed to use animals to human benefit. But all these nearby temples, Rabbi said, uh, what they're doing is wrong because we don't have a lot of live birds because they will take live birds. That's, let, let's discuss, we could discuss the specifics of that ceremony another time, but let's, after the class, but for, as a rule, anything for human consumption or for human benefit is okay. We're allowed to use animals for human benefit. Yes, Vitaly. Yeah, a question. Um, individuality. Is it given by birth, by God, or it's, it, it is being shaped, formed in socializing with other human beings. It's given by God. Every human being, um, even those with disabilities, all have, they're all created in God's image. They all have what, um, uh, they all have um, what Maimonides terms, individual hashkacha, individual providence, and they are all, they all have a mission. Every person has a purpose. Uh, We have our own lives. Each person, as the Mishnah tells us, is an entire world. Each one is an entire universe. The value of a human life is infinite. It, it's, a human life is worth more than anything. We don't 
Uh, we never risk human lives. We go to great extent to ensure not to harm a human life, not to risk a human life. Those rules do not apply to animals. Animals don't have the same individuality. Hmm. To Ida. A speech separates humans from animals. Yes. I.e., they can become expression, word, etc. What if animals could speak? What would that give them individuality? That's not. I don't know. The reality is that they don't speak, and we're dealing with the current reality. Um, I have a question. When the Hebrews were wandering in the desert and they only got mana, right? And I, I don't know what it, I mean, it's. And then they wanted, uh, you know, a variety, they wanted some meat, and that was also a concession. But I don't think it was, he said, all right. I mean, God said, okay, we'll give you some meat. But then those people got sick and died, right? Yes, there so, was. People did in the desert complain for meat, and God gave them meat, and they were punished for it. That was over the complaining, not that there's anything wrong with okay. meat consumption. <laughs> Abby? Okay. Abby? I just have a question about I'm going to get to that. Very good question. Okay. Excellent. Yes, I, question. I think it's just a topic for another class, but you said every human life has a value and you can't end a human life. Uh, could we maybe do a class on when is a life a human life? When does human life begin? Begin or end, or both? Begin. Begin. When, human, when human life begins, Annette. Yes? So there was a point in time in our history that a lot of people were slaves. And I don't, because I'm not schooled enough yet in the Jewish religion, um, you know, I don't know if the Jewish people did have slaves, but slaves at one time were considered animals, and now, and now we don't classify that way anymore. What is the Jewish view on slavery? I can't, yeah. What's Excellent question. Okay. Annette, can you write that down as well? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> take a two, do a two more. Um, Don? Yes. So Dennis Prager asks the question, uh, there's a dog and a human drowning in the lake. Who do you save? How would that, is that appropriate to address? Very good question, very good way of putting it, and based on what we just said, what would the answer be? Human. The human. There's no question about Unequivocally it. Unequivocally Unequivocally. Regardless of your... Uh, Right. We'd kill a, mil a million animals to save one human. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So we are allowed to, we are allowed to kill animals um, without causing them too much pain um, if they po um, for human benefit. We are, by extension, also allowed to kill animals that pose harm to us. While humans, we can sometimes kill a human when a life is in danger. Animals, we don't need lives to be in danger to kill animals. We're allowed to kill any animal that is harming us in any way, no matter how minor. And therefore, um, for pests, we are allowed to kill pests that are harming our crops. We're allowed to kill pests that are in our kitchen, um, that are in our house. Um, we are allowed to kill any pest that is calling, causing us harm in any way. However, 
Even when killing an animal or when using an animal, we must still do our best to avoid harming, causing the animal more pain than necessary. We should always try to ensure minimum pain. For that reason, the Torah, our sages say that the reason for the Torah's laws of slaughter, and the Torah requires that every animal that we eat must be slaughtered in a kosher way. It must be slaughtered by a very sharp knife that has no bumps in it whatsoever. We did a class a little while ago about the um, about how to slaughtering kosher meat, but you must have a perfectly smooth knife. The way you know that it's smooth is you run your fingernail up and down the blade to see if it is smooth. It must also be very sharp. And the reason why we do it like that is because it is the most painless way to kill an animal. There are those today who are trying to, or in some European countries that have outlawed Jewish slaughter. Um, There are organizations in this country trying to stop Jewish slaughter. Um, We continue to believe that there is research to back it up, that Jewish slaughter remains the most painless way to kill an animal, more painless than um, some other methods, including um, electrocuting it that are commonly, or shooting it that are commonly done today. So while we may kill animals in as painless a way as possible, um, when necessary, whether for our own benefit, um, for human benefit, or because they're harming us, we should never kill animals for no reason. Even when killing animals for a reason, not all reasons are okay. A, one of our, a great 17th century scholar, Rav Betzalel Landau, um, often known by his book, No Debi Yehuda, he was a rabbi in Prague, um, wrote in a famous shuva, a famous responsa, he was asked about hunting for sport. Is hunting for sport permitted in Jewish law? For that matter, fishing would be the same. And so he writes as follows, there's nothing wrong with hunting animals in, in the sense that you are killing animals. It is perfectly fine to kill animals in order to use. Now, in Jewish law, if you're hunting you would not be able to eat the animal, even if it's a kosher animal, because it was not slaughtered in the proper way. Even if you injure the animal in hunting, once injured, it becomes a trefa, and it would not be permitted to eat, even if afterwards you slaughter it properly. Um, the, way they used to, um, the way they used to hunt deer for consumption uh, generally was with traps. You would trap the deer, and then you would be able to slaughter it in the proper Jewish way. So hunting animals cannot be eaten. However, if you are hunting animals, or for that matter fishing, because fish do not need to be slaughtered, if you are fishing for consumption, or hunting animals for their hides, in order to be able to sell their hides, that is your business, then that would be halachically permissible. That would be okay. However, he notes, if the reason for hunting is for sport, In other words, it is your way of entertaining yourself by killing animals. You are pleasuring yourself by bringing harm to the animals. While it is not prohibited in any specific mitzvah, any specific commandment, it goes against Jewish values 
of causing harm to others for our own, in, our, for our own enjoyment. So we are, even if you will then use the meat, perhaps give it to a non-Jew to eat, sell the hide, you will fish and then cook the fish. If you are doing it for, the reason you're doing it is not because you need fish for dinner, but you are doing it because you want to enjoy the sport of fishing, that would go against Jewish values. Because enjoying killing animals is cruel, and, um, and um, the Torah forbids us from being cruel to animals. How about catch and release? That would be even crueler. In fishing, really? That would be very cruel. Why are you yeah. catching the animal? For your own animal. sport. Right. For your own fun. But I'm leaving him alive and putting him back. You're causing it pain. You're causing it pain for no reason. Yes, Abby. So going back to that same thing, so somebody who isn't Jewish that is killing animals and using it for food and eating it and doesn't have to technically abide by the law, would that... The value of not being cruel to animals, as we said earlier, is a universal value. It's not just one of our 613 commandments. Um, some people hunt for a living. Some people fish for a living. We have lots of them. That's how we get have fish in the store, because there are people fishing for a living. Um, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with fishing for commercial fishing. However, fishing for sport is wrong. We shouldn't have a sport out of harming animals. Right, and I'm saying if they're planning to eat it. The question is, what is your goal? Even Ravitzala Landau says, even if you are going to eat it later, or you're going to use it, its um, hide later, so you can justify it, if you are not in the hide business, you're not in the fishing business, and it's not that you have nothing to eat for dinner and you need, you're going to catch fish because you're on a, you're on a trip out in the wild and you're living on your own out there, then it'd be fine to fish. If you're doing it for the sport, because you enjoy the sport of fishing, that is ethically wrong. Yes? So, horse racing is not typically looked at as animal cruelty. But in the last year, 40 horses have died at Santa Anita Something's got to be wrong. So is horse racing animal just, cruelty? Not just not just horse racing, but incredible evidence that something is going wrong. Forty. You know, I don't know. I don't want to comment on specific incidents. Um, my my understanding is that horses do get hurt in horse racing. Um, is horse racing wrong? It's been done for a very very long time. Um, not generally by Jews, um, although Jews have been in the business of buying and selling horses uh, for a long time. Um, definitely using horses for to ride to get places is definitely p permitted. Is using horses for sport okay? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the horse experience and whether it's cruel this or not. I can't comment. Okay, I, I won't comment on it. Um, let me continue because we're going to run out of time and I'll take some questions soon. So we are allowed to, we are again allowed to kill for human use, for human benefit, even if it's not for the meat, even if it's just for the fur. 
even if it's because the animal's a pest. We are allowed to kill. We, are not a, we should not be killing for sport. It is not ethical. We definitely are allowed to kill pests. However, the Arizal, the great master of Kabbalah, told his student, would instruct his students that when you have a pest in your house, one should avoid killing it, and rather one should try to trap it and remove it. And indeed, that has been a Jewish custom. Many of us may have seen our grandparents doing this um, because they were, they, they, it was common in the old country where Jews didn't kill pests within reason. Mosquitoes that were in front of them were very hard to trap or things that were hard to trap they did kill. But if they had other kinds of pests, um, they would catch them in traps um, when possible and take them outside. Um, or take them away from the place where they were causing damage. Um, definitely certain there are times where that is not feasible, where you need to kill your termites to intent, when you tend to your house. There is no way to catch them. There are definitely times where you have to kill the animals, uh, the pests, and you should and you may for human benefit um, in order because they are causing us harm. However, when possible, one should avoid killing. And it is important to teach my children now that when we catch a cricket in the house, living here in Southern California, we all experience that. Um, rather than killing it, we always attempt to catch it um, and take it outside. Crickets are fairly easy to catch. They're harder to kill. Um, they're easier to catch. So, um, and, so th and that's not a requirement, but that is a Jewish there has been on Shabbos we're neither allowed to trap nor kill unless an animal is dangerous we cannot touch it there has been some debate on medical testing for animals animals can be harmed even to cause and even cause pain for human benefit but we must cause them as little pain as possible there has been some question about testing because the benefit from testing is indirect um, while there have been some halachic scholars, some Jewish scholars who have questioned it, since no human directly benefits from the particular pain caused to that animal. However, most 20th century halachic scholars have allowed medical experiments on animals, including Reveleza Wandelberg, who was um, known as the um, leading medical expert, um, halachic expert in the 20th century. And that's because um, there does not need to be a specific benefit um, in order to um, be allowed to harm an animal, um, given that animals don't have individualism, a general societal benefit is enough. If we believe there will likely be some benefit from the testing this animal, that, would, that is enough to allow for us to perform medical experiments on animals. Even then, we must do so in a way that causes them as little pain as possible. So if doing surgery on an animal, one should always first, um, one should f uh, first put them to sleep or try to, or give them anesthetic in a way that they feel as little pain as possible. So not causing pain to animals, as we've seen, is a central value in Judaism. And we go to great extent to never cause pain to an animal. We said we have to treat it well. Furthermore, if we see an animal in pain, we are required not to ignore it, but to proactively stop and try to help that animal. Um, 
However, at the same time, we have to remember that there is an infinite gulf between animal life and human life. And animals do not have individualism. Rav Samson Raphael Hirsch, a um, very well-known 19th century German rabbi from Frankfurt, warned that raising the value of animals to make them human life will cause people to be cruel to humans. So if we raise and equate animals with humans, as was becoming popular in Germany in his days in the 19th century, um, it will lead to cruelty to humans. Indeed, his predictions came true. The Nazis created the strongest animal protection laws of their time, um, and they were among the first governments to create strong animal protection laws, we know the way they acted towards humans. Of course, this does not mean in any way, I do not want to insinuate that people who protect animals are necessarily cruel or compare them to Nazis or atrocities done by other people in any way. Just it is an extreme example of how people can be greatly concerned about animal cruelty while being extremely cruel to humans. And the problem over here is a moral one or a philosophical one. Once we lose the clear distinction between animals and humans, and given that it is unrealistic to treat all animals like humans, we then eventually will end up lowering our concern of humans to those of animals. In other words, since if we equate animals and humans, because it is practically impossible to ever treat all animals like humans, therefore we will end up lowering our value of humans to the value of animals doesn't mean everybody advocating for animal rights believes that or will do that, but it is something that one moral over-equating um, uh, animals and humans will eventually, as a society, lead to harm to humans. One example that I have seen countless times in my own experience um, and many of you perhaps could relate to, is during end-of-life care. And this is true, I think, in general. One thing that has happened, we have moved from seeing animals as farm animals when we were living in rural communities, when 90% of people were rural, even people in urban societies had animals. Um, we lived with farm animals, cows and sheep and goats and chickens in our homes, um, and they were, we saw animals as there for human consumption. Um, and we've moved away from that in our urban society. Our interaction with animals is pets, house pets. And house pets have gone from being um, a, for, a source perhaps of, of enjoyment or um, relaxation to becoming members of the family uh, for many. And um, as a result, it's led to creating what we could call individualism for animals. In other words, people attribute individualism as kind of this, an individual life and feeling and experience of their animal. Um, and one example that I've seen has come in the end of life care, and you probably could relate to this. Um, there's a strong movement today to help people end their lives 
um, when they're sick to end their pain. Um, I don't want to get into the ethics of this. It's a subject of its own that we're planning to, I think we already have a class scheduled on it, on end-of-life care. Um, but Judaism, just to mention that Judaism is strongly against terminating a life um, early. Um, however, often people will tell me the following, and I've heard this multiple times. They'll tell me when our dog was really suffering, we had her put down. Why can't we do the same for our mother? <laughs> now, the difference should be clear, right? Ending an animal's life is of minimal ethical concern. We, we don't end an animal's life unnecessarily. That is waste. We don't destroy something in God's world unnecessarily. Um, but at the same time, we don't want animals to be in pain. And if the animal is in pain, ending its life is, might be the best way to relieve its pain. And um, therefore, we would do it because we don't place any supreme value on the animal life. However, we do place supreme value on human life. And so therefore, while we can get into the complexity of the de and detail of end-of-life care, human life is infinitely valuable. And a hu the end of a human life is an unspeakable tragedy, a terrible event, and cannot be compared in any way to the end of an animal life. Unfortunately, this kind of attitude will only come from somebody um, who has learned to give their animal individuality, raise the value of their animal to the value of a human, and then what happens is that leads to lower than the value of human life. So it's very important to be cognizant of it. While we do are concerned about animal um, welfare or concerned not to cause animals pain, um, we, it's very important to also differentiate between the value of animal life and value of human life. Animals do not have individuality. Their lives have only limited value. Um, and we will end an animal's life, take an animal's life, for human benefit. Um, we will never end a human's life for another human's benefit. Um, and human's life is infinitely invaluable. And so it's important to remember that distinction.